Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Glad to see you guys all here tonight. Uh, For those who don't know me, I am Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys tonight. And I want to talk about something that offends a lot of people. So um, beware and don't walk out, okay? Um, If you want to be annoyed, you can tell me all about it afterwards, but you just have to hear me out first. We'll put that preface out there. But I want to talk about how blessed can you be? And there is people who love Jesus who have found the ditch on either side. Now, I don't know if you ever heard the expression that for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. Um, and it's true. Not only does every road have two miles, you know, a mile of ditch on either side, but sometimes people can find the whole wrong road. As I got looking at this, and so often I'll hear stuff and they're like, you know, well, is it more holy to be rich or to be poor? And there are people who sit here and like, if you are rich, you don't love Jesus or you'd be giving it all away. And someone else is like, if you were really loving Jesus, you'd be blessed. And, and they, they go back and forth and you're like, what? Is there a certain dollar amount that means that I'm greedy? Is there, or that, is there a certain dollar amount or lack of dollars that means that God's not pleased because I'm not blessed? And there's, the people can get into this like extreme on either side. And I think that part of the problem is that smart people with the wrong information will come up with the wrong answer. If we ask the wrong question, it doesn't matter how smart we are, we will come up with the wrong answer. And I think that in this area, so many people have looked at it through the wrong questions with the wrong information that they couldn't come up with the right answer. Um, Both this how much can I have, how little should I have, are both all about me. And I think both miss the mark. So uh, before we get too far into it, I want to look at side A and side B, and then we'll look at what the Bible fully teaches. But if you're in side A, they're going to throw out their... Something along the lines, you know, we're going to start with Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And we're going to look at some of the heroes of the faith. Um, Abraham, it says that the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Genesis 26.12 talks about Isaac and says that he sowed and reaped in that same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him talks about God blessing them and that affecting their finances. And Deuteronomy talks about it. It says, and God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. In Genesis 28, verses 3 and 4, it talks about God blessing and multiplying. And Genesis 39 talks about how Joseph was blessed and everything that he was put his hand to is blessed. His employer was blessed because he was there. And so you get this, and it can be easy. People can go, hey, man, you should just be blessed and you need to be. And they can go off on 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 a roll and define God's Approval by God's blessing. But then you get the people on side B. 
And they sit here and go, well, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, commands those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And if you have too much money, they'll tell you that you're trusting in your money. They do tend to leave out the other half of the verse, though. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. But then they go on and they'll go, well, side B says that the love of money is the root of, and they normally misquote this. It's 1 Timothy 6.10. They'll say the love of money is the root of all evil. But that's not what it says. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Uh, before I move on from that verse, I want you to understand that verse because I, people mess it up all the time. But I want you to think for a second. Is there any sin that has not been committed for money? When people's hope is in money, there is no level of stupid that they will not do. People have murdered for money. People have, like, you can go through and list, like, anything that you were to, to list and go, yep, they've done all of this for money. But in Hebrews 13, 5, it seems pretty simple. It says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then in, in Mark 10, 25, it says, it's easier for, the cam- for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So side A seems like I should just be blessed if I'm not blessed. How come? Because God likes me. And over here you're like, but a camel through the eye of a needle seems pretty difficult. And so it can leave this pondering and this wondering. Going, what is this danger and what is, where should we be? If you get to looking at the Israelites in Nehemiah, it gives us an overview of a bit of their history. Nehemiah chapter 9. When you look at this, it's crazy. Um, and I went and had fun and I started marking it. But when you go through, and it, this is not the only spot that it does it. In fact, I had a whole bunch of them in my notes and then realized I didn't want to keep it here till tomorrow. So we just decided we'll pick on Nehemiah. But he goes through and he, he, he looks at him and he goes, the Lord... Um, you multiplied their children as the stars of the heavens and you brought them into the land. He talks about their blessings. And then he goes on, he says, so they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their backs. Then he goes on, talks about how God let them do their own thing and get into a mess. In the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and they heard, for you heard from heaven according to your great mercies. But after they had rested, they did evil again before you. The Israelites stopped pursuing God and started treating God as a means to an end. And they were like, well, God is my method for receiving, but once I'm received, then I don't need And I begin to think about it going, how many of us are in a place where we turn to God because we have to? We turn to God because everything else is hopeless. We turn to God and maybe it's because you don't know how you're going to pay things or maybe it's because we got a doctor's report that, that you look at and you say, well, they have no hope for me, so the only hope I could possibly have is in God. And sometimes it's easy when we're on the rock bottom to go, God, I need you. 
But what about when God goes, all right, you turn to me, let me be there for you. Let me heal you. Let me touch you. Let me bless you. Let me meet you at the point of your need. Once we have it, are we still seeking him? Or was seeking him only about getting the, the thing, the finances, the, the health, the relationship? Because I have, I have seen, I have prayed with so many people who have replaced God with what God gave them. They're like, God, I need you to bless my business because we are like, we are in such desperate need and we're not gonna make it and God, my trust is in you and God shows up and God blesses them and then you stop seeing them and you're like, what happened? They're like, man, work is so busy, I'm so blessed. So you don't come to church anymore? Well, I do sometimes, but man, we're busy and then we had to take this vacation and then... Or they sit here and they're praying that God would bless them and God blesses them and they're like, yeah, God blesses them. We got a cottage. And then all of a sudden you're like, we haven't seen you in months. They're like, yeah, it's summer in Michigan. It's fleeting. We got to take advantage of it while we can. Man, I was praying and God gave us a boat. And then you're like, well, what? That doesn't mean you can never go to church. And all of a sudden you begin to watch and they're like, well, well you were at church so faithfully and you were praying for a spouse. God gave you a spouse and you stopped showing up. Have we replaced God with the things we asked him for? And I begin looking at this going, okay, well, does that mean it's more holy to have not? Because by default, if I have not, I have to go looking for someone else to, to get, to receive, to survive. But I don't know if you've discovered this, but did you know there are rich people that are greedy? But did you know there are poor people that are greedy? Because sometimes it seems like there must be this magical number, the way people talk about it, like, oh, once your bank account has this many digits, that means you're greedy. And you're like, says who? I have met broke, greedy people. But can I be generous if I don't have that many digits in my bank account? So maybe the question of how many dollars is acceptable is the wrong question. Because if I try to measure God's approval by the number of dollars in my account, I have the wrong lens, the wrong question, and therefore I will end up with the wrong answer. Because my blessing and what is appropriate isn't measured by how many digits are in my account. Because you can have rich, greedy people, you can have poor, greedy people, you can have rich, generous people, and you can have generous, poor people. I do not think that the Bible answer is related to a number between rich and poor. I think it's a matter of ownership or stewardship. See, what we discover is what God wants is for us to be a steward of what is His. And when we begin to recognize that, it changes everything. It's not that we can't enjoy it. First Timothy, we read verse, chapter 6, verse 17, says, As for those that are rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope in uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy. Did you see? It does not say, As for those rich, evil people who have lots of money, tell them that that's sinning and that they need to give it all away. 
But as I begin to look, you begin to see throughout the Bible this idea of stewardship. In fact, Jesus tells parables about stewardship. He says, hey, it's like this, this kingdom where the king, he gives this person 10 talents, gives this person five talents, gives this person a talent, and he goes through going, here's, and then he goes on a journey, and he tells them to take care of what he gave them. And when he comes back, he calls them back. He says, hey, what do you got? And the man who had five talents is like, hey, while you were gone, this is what I did. I invested it over here. I did this and I did this. And your five talent has now turned into 10 talents. And he doesn't say, you filthy, greedy servant. He goes, well done. Well done. Enter, like, he's like, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little. I'm going to make you faithful with much. Come and enter my rest. And he comes to the next one. And the guy's like, hey, this is what you gave me. And this is what I did. And he responds, hey, well done, good and faithful. And he invites him in. He's like, I'm going to give you more. And then the guy comes who only had one. And he gets there. He's like, you know what? I know that you're hard and you expect a lot. So I hid your talent in the dirt. Heard you were back. I dug it up. Here's what's yours. He looks at him. goes, you wicked and lazy servant. And you're like... And furthermore, he goes, take it and give it to the guy who was faithful. And I was like, wait, wait a second. This is not what you expect. But he wanted, he, he gave them something he expected them to do something with it. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about, uh, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says, that he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He says, you're going to have seed for feed and seed for sowing. And I, be, I begin to look in first, sorry, first, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, it says, not to lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor thieves destroy. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now I was going to tell you a story, and I think I don't. I think I may have preached this verse one time, and then Dad went and preached it this morning. Like what? Like how often do you hear anything about the unjust steward? And then he went and nailed it this morning. But if you weren't here, Luke chapter sixteen, verse three, talks about a steward, and this this steward gets caught cheating, and when he gets caught cheating, the, the master says, "Hey, come bring me the books." You're going to have to give an account and you're not going to be, um, you're not going to work for me anymore. And he looks and he goes, well, I am, I'm too ashamed to be a beggar, but I'm not strong enough to be a laborer. So what am I going to do? And he calls in his master's debtors and he's like, hey, how much did you owe? And the guy's like, I owe 80, 80 bushels of this. And he's like, all right, quick, write down 40. Goes the next one. Hey, what did you owe? And he, and he starts dropping and reducing their debt. And when the, the master looks at him, he commends him. Not for being a thief, but for thinking ahead. For using what he had today for what was coming. Do we have any guys who like to play board games? Do we have any board game people? And some of you guys are like, I played with them once, never again. Okay, so... Um, 
board games are fun. And as I was kind of writing this, uh, I got thinking about board games, Monopoly, a few others, where they have a bunch of money. That's always fun. Remember being a kid and being like, ooh, look at all my money. You're like, it's, it, it's a game, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but it says 100 on it. Like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it's a game, and when it's over, you're going to put it back in the box. And you're like, it's my money. <laughs> and, and it's kind of funny. You're like, in the end, does it really matter who won Monopoly? Does it matter who had the most hotels, motels, houses, whatever? Like, when it's all done, we're going to put it back in the box. You're not going to walk around with this in your wallet. <laughs> I won Monopoly yesterday, guys. I got money. Monopoly money. And everyone's going to look at you and you're like, why? Is your ego that small? <laughs> like, need that much help? So first I started thinking about that. I'm like, did you realize that when the game is over, this doesn't go with you, so it really doesn't matter? You do realize that in eternity, the money that you have today doesn't go with you, and it doesn't really matter? That this is just a blink, that this is just a blip, and the game will be over, and eternity will go on? But what you do in the game can affect eternity. Now, what if we were to get a group together to play a game, pick our, ooh, there goes a hundred bucks. Like, <laughs> we pick our game, maybe we play in Monopoly, but you're now you're playing it with somebody from work and a few others, but that person from work, you need their approval tomorrow for a large deal that's very important. Let's just say you're now going to get commission, and that commission's going to make up, let's say, 20% of this year's salary. It's a large deal. Now, as you're playing this game, you might think about tomorrow. You might be competitive and want to just win, but at the same time, you're like, if I win the game, I put all the money away. If I win their favor, I get paid in the real world. How many have ever played with somebody who's like mean in the games? Like they're like harsh. The game's over and have you ever been still annoyed at them? <laughs> yeah, but so you realize I don't want that because what I'm doing in this game that's so temporary might affect me tomorrow. This game might mean whether or not they look at me and go, yep, sure, let's sign the deal. Or where they go, mm, no, let's hear some of the other department's ideas. Like, let's hear. So if you were smart, while you're playing the game, while we play the game, we keep in mind the fact that the game is going to end, right? And who we're playing with. If you want your wife to kiss you, remember that while you're playing the game. Like, there's just important lessons. But he looks, and he calls him. He goes, hey, you played the game that was about to get closed, and you used what you had in the game to win 
outside of the game. We're playing a game that's going to end. But he says we can use what's in the game to affect what's beyond the game. We can be a good steward. And so many people, when you talk about money, get really angry. And I've, I had somebody, I had a, a great dialogue with somebody about this the other day. Because, but, but I don't have very much. And again, that comes back to our wrong question. You're asking how much do I have, not whose is it? If I change the question to whose is it, it changes how it's handled. Because God wants to use people. He wants to shine through. And sometimes we go, yeah, God's going to do something through somebody who's got a lot. Like, God uses millionaires. And you're like, not people who wonder where they're, uh, how they're going to pay their bills. But do you realize when we look in our Bible at stories, we find God using the most unlikely people? You get 5,000 men together. Now, it says there was 5,000 men, but the answer didn't come from any of the 5,000 men. It comes from a little boy. So there were 5,000 men and at least one little boy. But if there are 5,000 dads, how many of you realize that there were some tag-alongs? And how many of the women were curious? I don't know. But there was at least five. So we're just, we'll just go with the most smallest number possible and say it was 5,000. 5,000 people there with Jesus. And Jesus is like, they're hungry. We should feed them. And disciples are like, that's crazy. Where are we going to find? And who's going to pay for it? He sits here and goes, a year's wages wouldn't buy. He said 200 denarii. So 200 days wages would not buy enough food for everybody. And Jesus is like, okay, what do you got? And in John, and of course, they come back and they're like, well, there's a little boy. The little boy has a lunch with five loaves and two fish. And they're like, um, five loaves, two Little boy's lunch. Do you realize that the little boy carried his lunch? Some people were like, dude, those were big loaves. What do you think, the kid Samson? Like, when we order pizza, the guy's got to come in and take multiple trips. You do realize that, right? And you are not 5,000 people on Sunday night. This little boy goes, all right, God, you can use what I have. And when God touched it, 5,000 people were impacted because a little boy said, all right, God, what's mine is yours to do as you want. See, when I'm a steward, what I have is what he has. And he can do whatever he wants with it. Um, a pastor shared a story this morning about being in Mexico and being in need. And it's so easy to celebrate 
when you're sitting here and you're trusting in God and you're like, God, I trust you and I am, I am trusting you with everything and I have nothing and I don't know where it's coming from and it shows up. Someone knocks on the door. Someone walks up there and they're like, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to give you 20 bucks. Somebody, and you go through that. I was talking to my wife and my wife grew up in lack. They, they did not have much. And I was asking her, I said, tell me some of the stories. She says, she remembered the time when she was really mad at her mom because all that they had in the house for dinner was crackers and peanut butter. She's like, mom, why don't you just get up and go to the store? We don't have any food. And she gave mom a real hard time. And she didn't understand until the next day. Because the next day, they opened the door and surrounding the door was at least 10 grocery bags packed full of food. And it wasn't even just food. It was like their favorite stuff. And she said her mom just broke down in tears and she found out the reason that her mom didn't go to the store wasn't because mom was lazy. It was because she had no money. And so going to the store doesn't do any good when you have no money. And it's so easy to look at them and be like, yeah, you had nothing and God showed up. You trusted in him and he showed up. And you know what? You're right. But you know what? An angel did not sit in the parking lot, create all the food and the grocery bags and deliver that. So who did? Somebody who said, God, what is mine is yours. Use it as you will. You're like, who trusted God? The person who had not, who said, God, help me. And the person who did, said, God, I have, but not just so I can have. I have to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Do what you will. And I, I begin to look and think of how many times I've celebrated with people when they said, I didn't know where it was going to come from and God showed up and somebody walked up and handed me money and somebody paid off my tuition and somebody, like, that's amazing. I remember looking at that years ago and recognizing, going, wait, God was, at, God was on the move there was somebody who had nothing and God moved in their life and there was somebody who had something and God was able to use it. I said, you know, I think I want to be the, that someone. And I've been on both ends. I remember being in Bible school and in a very short window, I got a job. I don't remember even if I got the job yet. When I heard somebody else's need, I felt God just prompt me. And there was, there was a girl in college, and she needed. She was, I think it was after I got my, had gotten the job there, but it was, um, she didn't have the money to pay tuition, she didn't have the money to pay rent, and God spoke to me. But I'm like, if I give a good-looking girl money, she's going to think that I'm interested in her. I'm like, God's like, she doesn't need to see you. She needs to see me. All right. God, what do I give? Gave me the amount, so I stuck it in an envelope. Said, love God. Wait till it was dark. Put her name on the outside, went and shoved it in her mailbox. Funnest thing ever. Next morning at college. Because 
you're just like hanging out, like checking in. Everyone's and she comes like screaming out, "Guys, you would never believe it!" And you're trying to like hold your poker face. What? God sent me money. Like he did. He used me. I didn't need to say that to her, but but he did. Because God doesn't make counterfeit money. God goes, hey, I need somebody to reach that person, so I need somebody to use the resources that I gave them. Maybe that resource is money. Maybe that resource is time. Maybe that resource is a bedroom. Maybe that resource is a coat. But he looks at somebody and he goes, hey, who will let me use what I've given them to accomplish what I want on the earth? I said, me. And later, I, I... I got into that and my job was not going to pay me what it needed to pay me. When I say what it needed to pay me, it paid me what it needed to pay me. It didn't pay me what I needed to live. And I looked and I was like, all right, God, I'm going to trust you because I am $2.50 short every week. But that's not a lot. And God's like, yeah, give more. I'm like, you didn't hear me, God. Do you trust me? Yes. Arguing with God doesn't work, so he won. Um, but it was so cool. Because I, he said he would take care of me, and I watched as God used different things to see me through. And sometimes I, I, I knew, like, oh, week's coming short. And, like, but God, you got my back. And the boss would be like, next person to set an appointment gets a bonus. Oh, look, who happened to get the next appointment? Sometimes someone would walk up to me and go, hey, you're such a blessing and hand me money. Other times they're like, hey, we're going to do this thing and we're going to feed you. I'm like, yeah, food, free food. I mean, college means I didn't have to buy it and I didn't have to cook it. Woohoo! it's a win, double win. Um, but I begin to watch is it took when God does something, he uses people And I want to be the, one of the people that he uses. And that doesn't mean I have to be a millionaire. When someone sits here and goes, hey, I want to be part of Heart for the Kingdom and I will match everybody's gift and they come up with this massive amount of money that they're going to match, that is amazing. And I am so grateful that there are people who go, God, I have a lot, use it. But you know, God takes people who have very little and he uses it too. He uses a little boy's lunch that when, when Elijah was in need, God didn't show up and go, hey, who is the richest person around? Because we got somebody who needs fed. He sent him to a widow and a broke one. And he goes, will you trust me with what you got? She did. And God supplied. But so often, people look and they go, you know what? I want to be a part of that when I have X in the bank. When our company is this, when, but, and, and they said all these like numbers, but do you realize it doesn't matter how much money you make, there is a way to spend it? Like we sit here and we're like, 
We're barely getting by. But if we were to go around the parking lot right now, we could find somebody's car that's value is under $3,000. Someone's like, yep, it's me. And then we could walk around the parking lot and we could find a car that retails for over $100,000. But do you realize that all of them have wheels and take you from point A to point B? Some of it's a bit more comfortable. It's got some nicer features. But my point is this. If you make a little, you end up buying the car that's cheaper. When you make a lot, you end up buying a car that's more expensive. And either way, you end up spending your money and having a car. There is always a way to spend the money. But whose money is it? And I'm not saying you can't drive a nice car. Going, is it your car or is it God's car? Can God use it? Because when we get this idea that what I have is his and I'm a steward of it, then it changes things. It's no longer mine. It's his. And so whether it's, hey, there's a heart for the kingdom offering. Whether it's, hey, there's somebody who needs a ride. Hey, there's somebody who needs a meal. Hey, there's somebody who needs a coat. Hey, there's somebody, and there, there, there's somebody who needs visited in prison, and you have, or you can make the time, because nobody has time. Everybody makes time. Everybody has figured out how to spend their time 24 hours a day, seven days a week for their whole life. So when something else comes up, no one has the time. But we, we sit here and go, all right, God, can I use it? And people go, but, but, but why? Can't God just use somebody else? Yeah, probably could. But you know what? If he did, you'd miss out. Just, just in, I, I talked to somebody and they're like, but I don't have much. I don't have a lot. And I said, yeah, but did you know that one of the most important things about God, per God, Hebrews 11, chapter 6, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Four, whoever believes in him needs to believe, or you need to believe that he exists and that he's a diligent rewarder of those who seek him. Okay, if I was to make a list of what's important, do you realize, I, I don't think that's what I would have listed. Like, exist, yeah, that makes sense. Rewarder? Like, you're putting that like, I have to believe you exist and that you reward? He goes, yeah, if you, if you want to know me, you have to understand that I'm for you, that I want your benefit, and that I'm looking for reasons to bless you, and that I am looking for reasons to reward you. He, he states in, in Matthew 10, 42, and whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you realize how easy that is? That, that, that was it. And he goes, ah, you serve somebody. You used what you had, which was a cup of cold water. And you let me use it for my kingdom. So I'm going to reward you. He goes, you get to be a part of something. He goes, I want to use what, what you have to see my kingdom come and my will be done. And, and that can look like so many different things. It can look like the house of hope. 
rescuing girls from, from sex trafficking. It can look like freeing slaves in, in Pakistan. It can look like reaching the next generation, touching a community, spreading the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, little story. I remember finding Romans 10, 13. This is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and thinking this was the coolest verse ever. I memorized it in my tree stand and I came in so proud of myself and I came in to dad. I'm like, dad, do you know what Romans 10, 13 is? And I'm like, I'm going to like, just, I just pulled this out of like nowhere. I'm going to stump him. He's like, let me think. Well, Romans 10, 9 says that whoever, and he wrote, and he just quoted from Romans 10, 9 through 13. I'm like, ah, <laughs> he wins. But, but he goes on. He sits here after he's talking about whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, but how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What God wants to do, he says, he, he came, he died to save them. But he goes, how can they believe in it if they don't hear about it? How can they hear about it unless somebody sends? And throughout the Bible, we see this idea of partnership. He goes, it takes someone to preach and it takes someone to send. There are so many ways that we can partner with God. But when it comes to how blessed can I be, I have to decide. Not how many of these can I hold, but whose are they? Have I replaced God with what he's given me? Or I have, or is what I have his? Am I saying that maybe I'll give it to God when my bank account reaches something or am I saying that everything in my bank account is his and he can use it as he wills? Am I going to partner with him to set somebody free? Am I going to partner with him? Because I, I look at those stories of these different people who God showed up. But when God showed up, he showed up through somebody. And some of them knew Someone, we were talking about this at lunch and somebody showed up to uh, a single mom at church, but she figured out who it was because she has a cam. Maybe they'll figure out who you are, maybe they won't. But can God use me? Can God use what he's given me? What do I have or how does what I have further the kingdom. How does what God's given me expand the kingdom of God? How does what God gave you impact eternity? And when we hold on to that, it changes everything. And no longer are we looking at going, hey, the person with lots of money is evil or I have to be the person with lots of money. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much of this they have. When the game is over, the box gets put away. But the impact that we have with it can last forever. When we get 
a hold of that, then we can use whatever it is, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's our home, whether it's our influence, whether it's our serving. There are so many different things that, that God has given us. Will we let him use it? And as, as I want to challenge everybody to, to check themselves and go, hey, how does what I have further the kingdom? Some people look in here and go, the reason I've never entered the kingdom was because I met people who didn't get that. God loves you. And he wants you to be part of the kingdom. And if you have never received his forgiveness, if you don't know that you're right with God, I want to give you an opportunity to make him, his, make him your Lord. As we just referenced in Romans 10, 13, he says, whoever calls on his name will be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity to make him your Lord. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? We're going to say a simple prayer. And I invite you to pray this with me. And if you have not done this, you feel far from God, pray this from your heart. Say, God, you can all join me. Say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. I believe he rose again victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.